God the Holy Spirit. That's my title for our message this morning, God the Holy Spirit. This is, if you will, an introductory message to the next section or two that we're going to be getting into in our subsequent weeks in 1 John chapter 4. Suffice it to say for this morning, we're going to look at a few points and lessons to kind of set the table over our next few messages. Let me begin by saying this. Christianity is a spiritual religion, a spiritual faith. And this shouldn't surprise us because Jesus teaches us in John chapter 4, verse 24, that God is spirit. He isn't material. He isn't a man. He isn't created. He isn't bound by the three dimensions that we live in in our universe like we are, which leads us to a thought. If we consider things real because we can see them, but God is spirit and therefore invisible, which is more real? That which we can see and touch or that which we can't see? Anyway, although Christianity is a spiritual faith, there is still a wide conversation going on about spirituality. In fact, in an article published by Psychology Today, one line reads, and I quote, spirituality means different things to different people. This is certainly true. People have left off words like religious and faith and orthodox and denomination in favor of broad, vague terms like spiritual. So today, if you ask someone, are you a Christian, you might get an answer along the lines of, well, I'm not religious, but I am spiritual. It's like sending special teams in on third down and eight. Why would you do that? But getting back to the quote, spirituality means different things to different people. Nothing could be more accurate. Spirituality means different things to different people, get this, because people choose to live outside of the orthodox belief system prescribed to us in the Bible. So yes, spirituality means different things to different people because different people believe a variety of different things. In other words, the meaning of things, even if that meaning is agreed upon by everyone unanimously, isn't what's important. What is important is not what people say about something, but what God says about something. Here's my hook for you this morning. We are spiritual because God the Holy Spirit possesses us, abides in us and connects us to God the Father and God the Son. And in order for us to grasp this, I want to ask and answer two simple questions this morning. Who is he? And what does he do? Those are our simple points this morning. So let's begin with our first, which is this. Who is he? Who is God the Holy Spirit? Look back at the text, if you would, please. It says in chapter 3, verse 24, whoever keeps his commandments abides in God and God in him, and by this we know that he abides in us by the Spirit whom he has given us. 
Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. And get this, by this you know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is from God. And if they do not say that Jesus has come, then they are not from God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. Now, first we get into this technical aspect of 1 John chapter 4. I want to pause and take an opportunity to cover a number of things that the Bible teaches us when we learn about God the Holy Spirit. There are a few things, as I mentioned, that support our belief of the Spirit of God being the third person of the Trinity. As Orthodox, Bible-believing Christians, we believe in God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. Now, this is a very important doctrine because it is pivotal to Orthodox Christianity. If you do not believe in the Trinity, you might be a Mormon, you might be a Jehovah's Witness, you might be some other spinoff of Christianity, but you're not a Christian. To be a Christian, you must accept the prerequisite of God, one God being three persons, and the three persons being one God. There are a variety of reasons why we believe in this. Some of those I want to talk to you about this morning in particular as it has to do with God the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. So a few things I want to share with you. First, he was present at creation. He was present at creation. As Christians, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made by what is seen, but rather by what is unseen. That which is visible was made from that which is invisible. We don't believe in accidents of design. We believe that God created the heavens and the earth, and he did it by design. Get this, Genesis chapter 1, verse 1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Pretty familiar verse for a majority of people. But it continues, and it says this in verse 2, The earth was without form and void, and darkness was over the face of the deep, and the Spirit of God, the whom? The Spirit of God was hovering over the face of the waters. This tells us that God, the triune God, not just God in general as in God the Father, but the triune God was present and involved in creation. Furthermore, we learn this in chapter 1 of Genesis again, verses 26 and 27. It says in that same chapter, Genesis chapter 1, these words, Then God said, Let us make man in our image and in our likeness after them. And after this, he gave them dominion over the fish and the seas, etc., etc., Did you get that plurality in Genesis chapter 1? Did you get that plurality? Let us make man in our image after our likeness. This is what we refer to as inter-Trinitarian communication. This is the Father and the Son and the Spirit having a conversation amongst each other. This isn't God consulting with the angels. This isn't God consulting with creation. This is God, the Father, 
God the Son and God the Holy Spirit, saying in equality at the same time within what we would call the economy of the Trinity. Let us make man in our image and let us make man in our likeness. In other words, as early as Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, and Genesis chapter 1, verses 26 and 27, we see the presence of God, the Holy Spirit. But second, he was not only present at creation, but he is the initiator of Christian membership to the body of Christ. The Spirit of God is the initiator of Christian membership in the body of Christ. I'm going to shoot off a number of verses to you today, so if you want to throw them down on your notepad, then you can feel free to do that, but I don't want you to get frustrated chasing down verses while I keep going. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13 says this, In one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greek, slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of that one spirit. You see, baptism by the spirit is something that differs from being filled with the spirit. We see the apostles and different Christians in the New Testament being filled with the spirit for particular events, moments, special occasions. God, the Holy Spirit, would fill them and empower them to preach the word and to reach the lost. But they don't stay filled with the Spirit. However, once you are baptized in the Spirit, you are always baptized in the Spirit. You either are baptized in the Spirit and are therefore a member of the body of Christ, or you are not baptized in the Spirit and therefore not a member of the body of Christ. Now, this distinguishes us from a number of other different denominations and movements within Christianity. Some Christians believe today that you can be baptized by the Spirit and subsequently you exercise what we call the sign gifts, speaking in tongues and some other things that we're not going to get into in detail today. But I say that to say this, being filled with the Spirit is something that can come and something that can go. But baptism in the Spirit is not something that comes and goes. I do not teach that. I do not believe the Bible teaches that. I believe that is a false teaching that is exercised within Christianity today. We don't see people get baptized in the Spirit after trusting Christ. We see people baptized in the Spirit with their faith in Christ, and that baptism by one Spirit initiates their membership into the body of Christ. And the body of Christ consists only of those who have faith in Jesus. One way we know who the Spirit is, is by virtue of the fact that he initiates people into Christian membership in the body of Christ. Paul says it this way again. In one Spirit, we were all baptized into one body. How many were baptized? All. Interesting note on that group of Christians that I referred to before, they don't believe everyone is baptized in the Spirit. That's a special second blessing. Well, that's not what the Bible teaches. Here, Paul clearly teaches that if you are in the body of Christ, then you were baptized by the Spirit. Thirdly, God the Holy Spirit is referred to as divine in the Bible. 
One particular example is found in the book of Acts in chapter 5 where a husband and wife, Ananias and Sapphira, sold everything that belonged to them for the common good because the church at the time was under great persecution. Because the church was under great persecution, everyone sold their possessions and threw everything into a common lot so that they could live off of it together. Otherwise, they had no right to go to the store, make purchases. Uh, They could not uh, buy and sell, work, etc. Why? Because they didn't have their vaccination mandate card. I mean, (laughs) lighten up, right? I can be funny. We live in Florida. We don't have these problems. I might have reached a little too far on that one. So here's the deal. I believe, as the book of Revelation prophesies, that as it was then, so it will be later. We're all frustrated because we live in the wonderful state of Florida We're all frustrated by what we see happening in our country, the power play that's being executed by those who are in power, influencing their political influence into the personal lives of citizens that live in this amazing country, United States of America. This is nothing. It's going to be so bad. The book of Revelation says that if you do not carry about with you the mark of the beast, you cannot buy, you cannot sell, you cannot trade, you cannot work. This is a very small taste of what is going to happen. But when Christ ascended and the persecution of the church was hot, what we are going to undergo in the future, they were undergoing in the past. And as a result, everyone sold everything that they had and they put it into a common pot. And the apostles oversaw it. And Ananias and Sapphira sold everything they had, but they kept some in their pocket. And when they kept some in their pocket, the apostle Peter said, is this everything? And they said, yes. And the spirit of God reveals to Peter that they were lying. And the apostle Peter says, why would you lie to the spirit in doing this thing? And just a few sentences later, he says, you have not lied to men, but you have lied to God. You see what he does there? Peter does not distinguish between God, the Holy Spirit and God. He has no qualms, he has no hesitancy to equate God and the Holy Spirit. So we see in the Bible that the apostles didn't bother with the distinction of whether or not the Father and the Son and the Spirit were divine. In the teaching of the Bible, the Father and the Son and the Spirit are all divine. Equally. Fourth. He makes authoritative decisions regarding the body of Christ. This is the fourth reason why we believe in who he is as the third person of the Trinity. He makes authoritative decisions regarding the body of Christ. This is found in 1 Corinthians, among other places, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 11, the Apostle Paul says this, All these, that is to say, all the spiritual gifts that he was referring to previously, all these spiritual gifts are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually, get this, as he 
wills. Did you get that, church? The Spirit, capital S, gives to Christians as he wills and apportions to these Christians as he wills. The Spirit of God gifts Christians how he wants to whatever degree he wishes, and he does so because he has the authority to do it. There is no scripture that says that there is a consult with the Father or with the Son, and as a result of that consultation, the Spirit goes and does what they want. No, the scriptures tell us that God the Holy Spirit gifts Christians the way he wants to. Now, this might lead us to a point of conviction. I don't like my gifts. I want different gifts. What are my gifts? These are questions that we need to seek in the face of God. We need to ask God, what are my gifts? What are the talents that you have given to me? And furthermore, what are the gifts that you have given to me? We're going to get into this a little more deeply in a moment. But it's something worth noting that God, the Holy Spirit, was present at creation, that he initiates Christians into membership in the body of Christ, that he's referred to as God in the Bible, and finally, he authoritatively gifts people however he wants. That's who he is. Now, let's go to our second point this morning, and let's talk about what he does. We asked the question, who is he? Now, let's talk about what he does. So finally, we learned who the Holy Spirit is. He's the third person of the Trinity, equal in divinity with the Father and with the Son, sent by the Father and the Son to all those who trust in Christ. So now let's answer that question. For what purpose is the Spirit sent? What does he do? In his excellent book on the Holy Spirit titled Baptism and Fullness, The Work of the Holy Spirit Today, John Stott writes this, and I quote, The Christian life is life in the Spirit. All Christians are happily agreed about this. It would be impossible to be a Christian, let alone to live and grow as a Christian, without the ministry of the gracious Spirit of God. All we have and are as Christians, we owe to him. That's a great paragraph, isn't it? Now, I think as we, as Southern Baptists, we are a Southern Baptist church, at least for now. If the SBC goes any farther off the rails, who knows? Pray for our convention. It's a mess at the moment. But we are Southern Baptists because we believe in the tenets of Southern Baptist faith. We believe that the Bible is the inspired word of God and a number of other things. And as a result, we cooperate as a Southern Baptist church, in the missions that we hold in common. This is what we refer to as the cooperative program. In order to be a member in good standing in the Southern Baptist Convention, you have to give financially to the missions that we hold in common, and we do. Not only do we give to the cooperative program, every penny of every dollar goes to furthering the gospel, by the way, But we also participate in other auxiliary missions, which would be like the Annie Armstrong 
or the Lottie Moon missionary collections. One would be foreign missions. One is state missions. One is North American missions. Now, if we don't give to those missions and we say, well, we're Southern Baptist Church, we really aren't. You know what I mean? Does that make sense? You got to put your money where your mouth is. And we're Southern Baptist because we believe that these convictions are biblical, are biblical. We hold to them in common with other brothers and sisters in Christ, and therefore we are an SBC church. Now my friend Aldo over here is a Presbyterian. We're not Presbyterians. There are a number of reasons why we aren't Presbyterians. One of them is polity. We don't do church government the way the Presbyterians do. Then there's another church down the street, the Assemblies of God on 127. It's a healthy church. We have a lot of friends over there. And any sort of Assemblies of God or Pentecostal-leaning church is a church that emphasizes the work of the Holy Spirit. There isn't anything wrong with that necessarily, but this is the point that I am circling to make. We, as a Southern Baptist Convention, have tried to overcorrect a poor teaching of God the Holy Spirit, I think. And as a result, we have gotten a little rigid and we've gotten a little stiff. I believe what John Stott has said here, namely, that there is no Christianity without the gracious ministry of God the Holy Spirit. But we, we programmatize so many things in our lives that we sometimes leave very little room for him to do his work. So Paul says in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, don't extinguish the work of the Spirit. Don't put out the fire of the work of the Spirit. Now, we know because 1 Corinthians chapter 14 says so that the Spirit of God does not work with disorder. Everything must be done decently and in order. 1 Corinthians chapter 14 tells us. So the rolling in the aisle and the running back and forth and the handling of snakes, we don't do that nonsense. It's not biblical. You don't see any rolling. You don't see any nonsense in here, in the Bible. We try to stay as close to the Bible as we possibly can. Again, this is why we're Southern Baptists. Now, I don't agree with my brothers in Christ that practice services and worship that way and say it's the work of the Spirit. I don't think that agrees with the Word of God. I think the Word of God is very clear. When the Spirit of God descends, when the Spirit of God does His work, He doesn't do it outside of the boundaries of order and decency. Now, we might disagree on what order and decency is. I'm okay with that. But let's not blame our lack of self-control on the presence of God the Holy Spirit. The big distinction there that I can't abide, which is why I'm a pastor in the Southern Baptist Church. See what I mean? Now, having said that, I want to say this. We need the ministry of God the Holy Spirit in our life. We need the ministry of God the Holy Spirit to do in us what only he can do. And when we see God the Holy Spirit do work in his people, in God's people, in the Bible, we see them clap. We see them raise their hands. We see dancing 
Which, uh, you know, people say, well, you know, I don't have a problem with dancing. You should dance. Alex said, Valentine's Day is coming. You need to dance with your wife in the kitchen. The reason we don't allow dancing here is because some people don't have boundaries in their personal life, and I don't want them doing some nonsense on my campus. Right or wrong? You, go dance. Dancing is biblical. Shouting is biblical. Clapping is biblical. Raising your hands in worship and admonition to the Lord is biblical. Just make sure your hands are clean. Psalm 24 says, I will raise holy hands unto the Lord. If you got something filthy in your hands, you better, not, you better put it down first. The work of the Spirit in our life is an absolute necessity to our growth, to our maturity, and to our honoring of Christ our Lord. Now, we might see the way other churches do it and say, I don't agree with that, but that doesn't mean that we can formalize our Christianity to such an extent that we disinvite the work of the Spirit. The Spirit must be welcome in our church. He must be welcome in our lives. We must not live our lives in such a way that we say, God the Father, God the Son, and God <clears throat> the other guy, because I take over control of my life in this regard. We have to be open and vulnerable to the work that he does. Now, you might have, you're asking me the question, what is exactly the work that he does? I'm so glad that you asked. Let me share with you a few things that the Spirit of God himself is responsible to do. First, he is responsible to emphasize Jesus. Ray, you could go now. Thanks, bud. He is responsible to emphasize Jesus. Now, I'm not going to have you turn there out of the interest of time, but in John chapter 16, when Jesus is speaking to his disciples because he's still here on earth, he says, the spirit of truth is going to come and he's going to glorify me. And he's going to remind you of everything I said. Now, this is another reason why we're Southern Baptists. Because we believe in the ministry of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the responsibilities of the Holy Spirit. We believe in the divinity of the Holy Spirit. But we do not believe that the Holy Spirit makes a big deal of himself. We don't see that in the New Testament. In the New Testament, the Holy Spirit makes a big deal of whom? The Holy Spirit makes a big deal of Jesus. That is his role. That is his responsibility. The Spirit of God, regardless of denominations or groups or cliques or factions, the Spirit of God, the Bible says, has a responsibility to lift up, to emphasize, and to bring worship and praise to Jesus. In truth, it isn't wrong to emphasize the Spirit, per se, but it's important to know what the Word of God says before we make that deduction. Let me share with you a couple of verses. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. We read it this morning. 1 John chapter 4, verse 2. By this we know the Spirit of God. Every spirit that uh, <clears throat> excuse me, every spirit that confesses that Jesus Christ has come in the flesh is of God. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus came from God is not of God. This is the spirit of Antichrist. 
So right there in 1 John chapter 4, verse 2, we learn that the Spirit of God confesses that Jesus came from the Father. If you have any other philosophy of Jesus, he was a good teacher, he taught us how to be a good social worker, he taught us that we should help other people, but he wasn't God's son, that's not from the Spirit of God. Because the Spirit of God always emphasizes that Jesus is God's son. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 3. No one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Spirit of God. Now, the words are obviously in English, and you can combine them to create a sentence that says Jesus is Lord. But I think you understand what Paul is saying. The import of that phrase is only meaningful to those who are possessed by God the Holy Spirit. So Jesus, excuse me, the Spirit always emphasizes Jesus and does not bring attention to himself. Second, he empowers the Christians and the church. The Christians. Let's just say Christians. He empowers Christians and the church. Beginning at Pentecost, the Christian church and witness was empowered by God the Holy Spirit. And there are two ways in which today we can sort of narrow this down for a focal point. Two ways. Number one, spiritual gifts. Told you we were going to come back to this, and so we are. Spiritual gifts. What are spiritual gifts? Spiritual gifts are not talents. There are people who we know who are very talented, and they are not Christians. The reason there are human beings who are talented is because our God is creative. And when he created humankind, he created them in his image and likeness. Amen? So as a result, there are people out there who are not Christians but have a lot of talents. Well, of course they do. Our God is a creative God. And as a result of being made in his image and likeness, there are people that have a variety of talents. Talents are not spiritual gifts. Talents are something that you have by virtue of the fact that you are made in the image and likeness of God. A spiritual gift is this. A gift that you get from whom? The Spirit. <laughs> it's a spiritual gift. It's not something you had before. It's something that you have now because you are possessed by God the Holy Spirit. This word in the Greek is charismata. It's the word we get charismatic from, which is a whole movement that took the idea and ran miles with it. Way too far. Way too far. It's unbiblical. But that word charismata is not ungodly. It is a reference to the fact that God the Holy Spirit gifts God's people how he wants to. So we have a variety of things mentioned in the New Testament, like the gift of discernment, the gift of mercy, the gift of giving, the spiritual gift of the utterance of wisdom. We see in the New Testament times the gift of prophecy, the gift of healing, so we see a variety of ways in which God the Holy Spirit gifts God's people. Now, if you're interested, tomorrow I'm sending out an email with a link to a spiritual gifts inventory that will help you discern what your gifting is. 
I love to do this. I hate to do this. I feel like I'm closer to God when I'm doing this kind of ministry or whatever the case might be. At the end, you do the math, you add it up, and it gives you an impression of what your giftedness might be in the spirit. But what I want you to note is this. Gifts are not talents. Talents are something you're born with. Spiritual gifts are something that you have by virtue of the fact that the spirit is with you and has given them to you. Here's another thing I want you to note. The fruit of the spirit. This is another way in which he empowers Christians and the church. Not only does he gift them, spiritual gifts, but also the fruit of the Spirit. Notice, this is not your fruit. This is not the fruit of this person or the fruit of that person. It's the fruit of whom? So it is logical to conclude that if we're lacking in this fruit, we're lacking in whom? The Spirit. You know what the fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and my least favorite of all, (laughs) self-control. When you see someone who comes to Christ and has a radical change in their life and in their thinking, it's not because they have made the decision It's because God has revolutionized their life, excuse me, by way of God the Holy Spirit, who gifts Christians however he wants, but also brings with him these fruit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. These are things that we should see in abundance in our life. And if the Spirit of God is present then they should be present. But if they are absent, then we need to ask ourselves, why? Third, he gifts Christians and the church. He empowers them, but he also gifts. Now, we've gone over this, but I want you to notice that it shouldn't be a surprise because Jesus promised the Spirit to his people. In John chapter 20, Jesus says, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive the sins of any, they will be forgiven. And if you retain the sins of any, they will be withheld. The apostles would be the foundation of the church. And as a result of their being the foundation of the church, their teaching and instruction would lead the church of God forward. So their word mattered. They were empowered and authorized to do what only they could do so that today there are no prophets and there are no apostles. There are people who like to use that title, but they are wrong. Fourth, he wrote the Bible, sort of. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. This is a last thing that I want to mention in regards to what the Holy Spirit does. In this case, what he did. The Holy Spirit inspired the Bible. You see, the Bible isn't just a book with words written by people. It is. But it's more than that because the people were inspired by God the Holy Spirit so that ultimately when we read Moses or we read David or we read John, we're not only reading Moses or David or John, we're also reading God's Word. But in such a unique way, the Spirit of God inspired these men that they all read differently. Some people say, I just love to read John. In the beginning was 
the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God, and He was in the beginning with God. And it's, oh, it's so great, so poetic. And then you go to Moses, and it's like, if you do not have a spot, unspotted lamb, then you can use two turtle doves. And then if you use two turtle doves, make sure that you also bring a Thanksgiving offering. And it's, you know, oh my gosh, this is not exciting at all. This is not poetic at all. The truth of the matter is, this is the point I'm making to you, although every single man was inspired by God, God did not override each author's personality. In the Quran, that's what you get. If you were to read the Quran, that's what you get. If you were to read the Book of Mormon, that's what you get. By the way, there's no evidence for the Nephilim Indians or gold tablets with Egyptian hieroglyphics. Mormonism is a total sham. We believe in, so is Islam. Okay, do I need to say that? Okay. What we believe in, we believe in because there is evidence to support it. Not only in the prophecies that have been fulfilled, but in the archaeological evidence that tells us that today it's okay for me to read this translation of the ESV published by Crossway because we have so many archaeological evidences for the texts that when we read the Bible, we can feel assured and secure that it is indeed the Word of God. Why is that? 2 Peter chapter 1. Verses 20 and 21. 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 to 21. Knowing this, first of all, no prophecy of Scripture comes from someone's own interpretation because no prophecy of Scripture was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. You see that? Men wrote... But they didn't write, they didn't make this stuff up in their hearts and minds. God, the Holy Spirit, carried them along, as it were. That's how Peter says it. Listen to how Paul says it. Paul says, all scripture, how much scripture? All, all scripture is breathed out. Theopneustos in the Greek, it is breathed out. The root there is spirit. All scripture is breathed out by God and profitable for teaching and reproof and correction and training in righteousness. The prophet Isaiah in chapter 61, verse one, says it like this. The spirit of the Lord God has come upon me because the Lord has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. And Mark chapter 12, Jesus says that when David was writing the Psalms, David wrote the Psalms, and I quote, in the Holy Spirit. You get the gist, guys. You, 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 you sit down, you open the Bible, and you go, who do I want to read? Well, it doesn't matter who you want to read. I know every author is different, but know this, from cover to cover, when you're reading, you're not just reading Ezra or John or Nehemiah, you're reading God's Word. This is the inspired God's word. And it has been protected by him providentially through the years so that we have an abundance of archaeological evidence to support the fact that we should have every confidence in the Bible. In conclusion, let me say this. Christianity is a spiritual faith. It's a spiritual faith because we know who he is and we know what he's done. And perhaps more importantly, we know what he's doing.
Jesus teaches us that God is spirit, and as a result, we need to look at the things that we can see and touch with an awareness that God is not material like that. If God is spirit, and God is the realest that any real could ever be, then the three-dimensional world that we live in is just a shadow of that which actually is. Wherever you might be in your life today, in your walk with Christ, I hope that you will leave here appreciative of the fact that without the ministry of God the Holy Spirit, there would be no conversion. There would be no membership in the body of Christ. There would be no sanctification, which we've talked about for the past few weeks. There would be no forward movement in purity and holiness as a Christian. We are what we are, and we will do what we do because of the conviction and empowerment of God the Holy Spirit. Now, as we move forward into 1 John chapter 4 in the next few weeks, we're going to begin to appreciate that God the Holy Spirit is not the only spirit and that there is a spiritual warfare happening among us. And if we are ignorant of that, we are ignorant to our own demise. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, church, but against principalities and powers. And over the next few weeks, we're going to discuss how we should be posturing ourselves as Christians to overcome the works of darkness and the works of the enemy as we rely and emphasize the ministry of God the Holy Spirit.